This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. And I just have to tell everybody listening that one of my favorite people walking around planet Earth is with us today, Vanessa Naff, all the way from Seattle. I can't believe, all the way from Seattle. Hi, hey, Vanessa. Hello, gloomy Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I'm not there. When I go, the sun always comes out, so I just have to go more. That's true. We eat better as well. <laughs> I don't think I've been there since pre-pandemic, so... And I, I said this to Vanessa before we started, I literally walk around my house once a week thinking, why am I not in Seattle hanging out with Vanessa? And my other friend out there, Ian, Ian, if you're listening, I know Vanessa loves you, but I love you too, man. And I, and I miss you. And I want to, I can't wait to get out there and, and hang out with you guys again. And I want to bring Ali, my wife, because she's never been to Seattle and she's got to see us there. Yeah, especially yeah. when it's sunny. Yeah, Ian is actually the person who got me into Go in the first place. And so Ian's my connection uh, to all of you. <laughs> Ian's good at making connections with people. He's very outgoing and friendly and a ton of fun to hang out with. So I, I believe that. Okay, Vanessa, this podcast is about you. I'm really interested in hearing your story through uh, through tech. So a couple things before we start. I'm going to have to age you a little bit and unfortunately because i need mean? to kind of what do i mean i need to know like what year you graduated high school oh god i graduated high school in 2003 but i was yeah i was i had just turned 17 at the time so i was born 86. Mm-hmm. yeah you know i graduated high school too when i was 17. so i and i didn't turn 18 for a few more months after that Mm-hmm. But, I graduated okay. just like three months, two months after I turned 17. Okay, perfect. All right, so 2003. All right, so I've got that now. It gives us an idea of tech around like, what tech looked like and <laughs> things looked like uh, when you were uh, 17. That's always a good sort of baseline. Okay, favorite question. Actually, I'm super interested in hearing your answer here. Now, just okay. clear your mind. Just clear it. Don't let anything like create bias here. Um, first thought pops in your head when you remember working on a computer and it being that magical moment? Well, it's it's my my dad's work laptop, which was a ThinkPad, an old IBM ThinkPad with the, the nub touch uh, bar. We had a, or touch, I guess that was the mouse controller. It looked like, it looked like an eraser head. Yeah, it did. It was like, it, it, people have different names for it, but it's a little nub, essentially. There's, I think, an XKCD comic that mentions it and the the various uh, levels of professionality of <laughs> the names people give. <laughs> but That's funny. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was a work issued computer, so technically I probably shouldn't have been playing with it. But um, it booted to to DOS and to MS DOS, and uh, I read through the documentation. So when you when you talk about time and placing somebody in time, I also think about you know, time and space, because I think someone my age who grew up here in Seattle has a really different connection to computers than someone 
my age who grew up where I grew up, which was fairly rural. You know, I didn't see a lot of computers till I was almost a teenager. But this one, this one, I, I was fascinated and I stepped through uh, by pages the entire documentation for how to, how to do things. And I changed the colors and changed the prompt text and did all kinds of silly stuff. Found, found a, like a pre-installed game or two. And my, my dad was very patient with me, but usually said, well, I don't know how you did that. So you need to change it back. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember how old you were? Do you remember how old oh, you were? Oh, I must have been like seven or something like that. You know, okay, it, yeah, was, yeah, it was yeah. a brick. Yeah. <laughs> but, was, yeah, when I was seven, it would have been, yeah. Would have so been like he, early 90s. he walked away from you while you were working on it and came oh, yes. back and said, yeah, I need to get that back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I changed, I would just change silly things and be like, look, look what I did. <laughs> his, oh his level of curiosity was a little less than mine with that. He just wanted to make sure I didn't destroy his, his work laptop. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm sure he needed it. What did you, what did your dad do for work? Do you remember? He's a banker. So okay, he, worked, okay. he worked in a bank. Uh, oh my God. Bank. So, so you could have hacked into the bank on that laptop. <laughs> well, I'm sure Instead, I think you're changing colors. I think he used it mostly. <laughs> I hope I'm not getting him in any trouble here. I think he used it. <laughs> He's retired. So, but I think he used it mostly for uh, like word processing and um, essentially like calculations of things that I was far too young to understand. I never actually saw any of the files uh, in an actual file system. I was far more interested in, in what I could make the machine do that that seemed like magic. <laughs> That's really awesome. At seven years old, you were playing that. Was that just a one-time sort of moment or did that fascination say continue? Oh, good question. Um, I was a very curious kid. You know, I was more of a library kid, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. Uh, knew my favorite sections in Dewey Decimal to like beeline to in any library and- Okay, time out, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> Am I aging myself again? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, a little bit, but it's okay. All right, time <laughs> off a second. I have two questions. One, uh, where did you grow up at this time? I, I lived in Nogales, Arizona. Nogales is on the border of the United States and Mexico. Uh, so my family lived about 10 kilometers off of the off of the border. It's a rural area. Import-export of agriculture is the big business there. But even the, the town of Nogales has like 20,000 people or something like that. It's about 75 miles south of Tucson. Wow, super small. Yeah, it's pretty rural. Like I, <laughs> one, one school for K through 12? Yeah, I think we had an elementary school and they actually didn't have, well, the, the area that I grew up in didn't have a high school. They bus people into the Nogales area. There isn't a high school there now that was built when I was a teenager. But yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I remember thinking that my life was more suburban than I realized it was later. You know, it's like, oh, we just, we drive to the mall. It's like an hour. It's very, very normal. <laughs> it's an hour. <laughs> the movie theater's right. closer. It's 45 minutes. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy, I got questions. Okay, let me get to the other question. I want to now hear what section your favorite books were <laughs> in Dewey Decimal. Do you remember that number? Well, I don't remember the numbers, but I do remember, I, I do remember some of the sections. Um, I was particularly interested in any sort of, uh, well, I, I liked the encyclopedic sections of the library. I liked uh, anything with his, uh, history or puzzles. Like there is an entire section in, it's in between the mathematics and sciences sections that has uh, puzzle books like Marv, like uh, uh, 
Martin Gardner and uh, like Lewis Carroll's uh, logic puzzle biography and autobiography that I found interesting. Um, but yeah, I also read a lot of fiction. I mean, you're, you're, you're living in a really, I'm going to call it really rural because I grew it was up pretty rural. Yeah. <laughs> it was rural. I'm also curious how the pre, pre high school, right? Like pre 13, 14, right before you're going to start high school. What are you really, are you reading all the time as your avid reader? Are you, are you outside playing sports? Are you playing music or like, how are you spending your time? Do you remember? Yes, sort of. Um, my, my, my dad made me join a sport, <laughs> uh, because I, I spend a lot of time. I did spend a lot of time in books and by myself as a kid. Um, I'm the oldest of, um, four kids. And so oldest of four kids, but you spend a lot of time by yourself. Yes. I spent a lot of time sort of in like a, like a, like a pseudo parent role with my, with my sisters, um, because my parents both worked. Uh, so I, I didn't really play very much, I think until I was a little older. And then I was also a little bit ahead in school. So I had, you know, just a few, just a few friends there, but I spent a lot of time reading. Um, and, uh, at the time, oh gosh, I liked to write, I had taken I had taken piano lessons, um, which I enjoyed, but my sister was better than me. So that's always a little hard when you <laughs> have sibling running circles around you. And um, what else did I did I do at that time? How old is your youngest sister? She is a senior in college right now. She's 15 years younger than me. 15. That's that's the OK. So, well, yeah, I have a sister who's 17 years younger mm -hmm. than me. But at, at that point, you're not. Yeah, it's really a completely different care. relationship. Like, yeah, it is a different relationship. And your parents are different too? Like, Same two parents. Yeah. No, but no. Yeah, but different time. Yes, you're right. Different time of life. That's right. The way they parented you is 100% different <laughs> than the way they parented the 15-year-old. For sure. That's what I mean by different parents. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, people sometimes ask because there is such a gap. And <laughs> they are the same two parents, but it's a, it's uh they are not the same people, yes, that they were when they had me in their early 20s. <laughs> you see, so I appreciate that my sister Christy had different parents because my mom and dad, well, most of my mom, it's very strict, mm -hmm. like Italian, like, mm -hmm. well, let's just say I got hit a few times, okay? Christy, I don't think ever got hit. I have a sister who's actually a little resentful because Christy had it easier than we did, right? So yeah, it's just a different, it's a different thing. But you're also at that point in high school already, and that particular sibling isn't really part of your life early on. They later. Yeah, a little bit. She was my mother was really excited for everyone to be able to help out. At that point, <laughs> we were old enough to to be able to pitch in a little bit with Katie, and when uh, when she was small, um, I used to actually dislike taking her around in public because people often thought she was my kid, <laughs> which is, you know, reasonable. Like she could have been, but um, <laughs> I felt, I felt a need to explain to, to the, the assumers. It's almost like we should have gotten you a t-shirt saying she's not mine. <laughs> she's my sister. <laughs> I can imagine you looked young too. Like I looked younger. I, I looked young, Kevin, when I was young. In fact, the first house I bought, I was 26 years old. And I remember somebody knocking on the door of the house. And I opened it up and they were like, 
oh, are your parents home? <laughs> and I looked at them. I said, I am the parent. <laughs> and they true. felt like, and I shouldn't have been like that. Like my tone was wrong, but at the same time, <laughs> I just wasn't having it that day. <laughs> we all draw on our experiences to make those, to make those guesses. And sometimes you have to, you know, you have to be wrong. <laughs> okay. So then as you're entering high school, like my wife doesn't like me saying this to the uh, 11 year old, but like, whatever, you know, until you're in high school, nothing, I don't think anything really matters you're unless you're trying yeah. <laughs> to get into a really good high school. There are some kids that take middle school super seriously here in Miami <laughs> because they're trying to get into a, an elite, elite high school. Mm -hmm. But be, beyond that, things really start in high school. That, that four years starts a four year sort of cycle, four years of high school, the next four years, whatever that is, the next four years. You just, you tend to be on a four year cycle until you're probably about 30. What are you, as you're going into high school or like, what's really interesting you? Are things somewhat changing around what you want to spend your, your free time on? Yeah, I, I started high school really strong academically. You know, that was, I, I, you know, I got along well with like older students and, um, <laughs> I, high school had to be, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. High school had to be interesting for you because you got bust to a larger school that there had to be some like, I don't want to use the word fear, but some reservation early on that you're going to be around a whole set of different kids that are. I was excited about that. You know, I, I uh, like I didn't I didn't have uh, as many close people in the small rural school, um, which I, I know is kind of unusual. I think a lot of people do like having the same students around them as they as they grow. But um, when I was about to hit high school, I was excited to start at a new school. Being who I was at that time, I, I wanted to, to, to meet some new people finally for the first time in my life. <laughs> and uh, the high school I went to had a graduating class of about 500. You know, it was, it was pretty sizable. Um, and I was also excited because it had more resources in terms of uh, programs and things like that than the high school I'd been to. The library was bigger. We had an IB program. <laughs> it was, it was. So everybody that heard you say the high school had 500 people. 500 graduating like, classes. So it was like 2000. Okay. 500 and okay. 2000. Okay. That's good. That's like, okay. 2000 is good. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a good size. Yeah. So now you've got better facilities, bigger library, lab, labs. It's um, a little bit more modern. So that's awesome. And, and the, and the bus ride is. 20, 20 minutes, minutes 30 minutes yeah, 30 minutes 20, no 30. big deal yeah no big deal tell me a little bit about high school then like what subjects are you excited i'm already guessing because you love puzzles puzzle puzzles and stuff so i'm gonna guess the sciences were cool but you also were like into reading artistic yeah somewhat oh. uh, you know i <laughs> it's funny you're all over the place no this one has cool. asked me about high school in a really long time bill <laughs> This is, this is going back more than 20 years now. Uh, but let's see. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> when I started high school, um, yeah, I, I sort of started on, you know, their, their college preparatory track, which is essentially, uh, to taking, taking courses that would allow you to have college credit and potentially qualify you for, um, IB, IB diploma. IB is a program called international baccalaureate, um, that also requires you write some papers, take some tests. There's a, 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 um, an evaluation board that sits in Europe 
um, and you, uh, the college credit that comes from the IB program is transferable internationally to many schools as well, uh, whereas AP is so in the United States. you're already States. thinking, okay, okay, hold on. This is going to happen a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's fine. Are you entering high school already in your head? Like, I got to get out of here? I was excited to go to college. I think people had been telling me for a long time that I would be much happier in a, in a different sort of environment. So yeah, I think I was itching to itching to, to find something else out. I had been a reader for so long and, and um, had sort of secondhand seen a lot of things that I didn't get to experience in my regular day-to-day -day life, which is, um, I think, fairly standard. There's nothing bad about it. You know, I uh, lived in a rural area with two parents who worked and a big family and, you know, their entire life is kind of within that 15 mile radius. <laughs> this is what I'm curious about. I had the same thing. I wanted to go as far away as possible. And I, I did while staying in New York state, I had to go to uh, South Canada to do it, <laughs> but I, I, I did, but I'm, what, what's interesting to me is you had a lot of responsibility at home because you were the oldest and your parents worked. And so I'm just, I'm curious, did you feel at all like you couldn't leave? Or did they make you feel a little bit like we need your help? Or was it everybody understood that you were helping now because you're here, but the goal is for you to go off and do your own thing? I think it was always understood that I was going to go do something else. You know, my parents were, were really supportive. They're, my parents were both um, first in their family to go to college, but my parents both went to college. My mom's a special ed teacher. Um, my dad worked um, in a bank. And uh, I, I remember coming home. I think this might have been my freshman year of high school. Uh, we had a, a, seven, a seminar. You know, we were taken out of class in the morning to the auditorium gymnasium to uh, essentially ascend, essentially attend like a fair um, where we walked around and uh, met with um, people on different in different career track type programs. Um, there were military, there were um, there were like trade school, there were, there were a whole bunch of different programs available there. And we talked to a lot of people. I remember going home and telling my mother about it and telling her that we did a thing called alternatives to college. And my mother was like, stop right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, she no. Goes, for, for you, there are not alternatives to college. <laughs> That's funny. I, but you I remember enjoyed, that now. Yes, because I wanted that? to tell her about, because I had wanted to tell her about the, um, I've seen a presentation from from uh, some like electrical and machine people that I thought was really interesting, and they had given me some information, uh, and uh, yeah, she she was not interested. She's like, you can you can do any of that, you know, once you go to college. <laughs> so, <laughs> does that shape you at that point? Going okay, I'm going to go to college, but I'd like to go to college for what I just saw a presentation on. I think that I did not know yet what I wanted to do um, in college. I, I think it, it changed pretty regularly at that point. You know, I had read an article about a virologist and then I was looking into what a virology course of study would look like, you know, what would, what kind of, what kind of like microbiology and, um, and uh, what kind of research you would do to do something like that. And then, you know, another day I would be learning about cryptography and be like, maybe I want to do something like that. Then, I think I, uh, 
Well, I did an exchange program in high school um, where I lived in Japan for a year through the Rotary. And it was a very cool experience. Um, but when I did that, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I should stick with languages and do something like translation related, <laughs> you know. You were there for a year. So you did a year of high school. Year of high school. Mm -hmm. And how, how is your Japanese though? It's good. It's, it's almost, it may be better than my um, Spanish, which I, my family is Mexican. Um, and my <laughs> dad always uh, gives me a hard time about that. He says, I, we should have sent you the Oaxaca. <laughs> <laughs> to improve your Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> you knew Japanese before you went there or you learned it on the fly? I don't know if it's exactly the same now, but when you apply to do that type of study through the Rotary, you you rank um, places that you'd be interested and willing to go by their availability. And if you're accepted, they try to place you into one of your top choices. Um, and I chose Japan specifically because at the time I thought, you know, I have a lot of opportunities to learn Spanish and practice Spanish here. Um, but I wanted my top choices to be places that it might be more difficult to pick up the language um, without that kind of immersion. And yeah, I was selected and I got to, I lived in Nagoya, um, which is a very big city, but a very industrial city on Honshu, which is the main island for a year and went to high school. I'm curious if it was a, almost a guarantee that you would get selected or you were just doing this like, on a whim, like, uh, I'm just going to do it, but I'm never going to get selected. So this is not really a problem. I thought I had a chance, but I, I definitely applied because I had wanted to, most of my friends were in the graduating class right, right before mine. And I was starting to prepare for the idea that uh, my senior year, I wasn't particularly close with my own class. So I was trying to prepare for that. They were all going to leave me. And I spoke to my guidance counselor um, who said that technically I had the, um, the credit to graduate from high school early, which also my parents kind of put their foot down on. They, they said, you, you can't go to college right after you turn 16. There's more to college than just the academics of college. Parents were really smart. Yeah. <laughs> I would have done the same people. thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not understand at the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, you know, I, it, it's, I wouldn't say it was spiteful, but there was something in it, <laughs> in the application to the, to the program that was based in my wanting to, to fill that time with something other than, you know, if, if I do have a year. Wow, 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 wow. That is super cool. Did, were your parents like, go for it? on this program, not knowing where you were going to go, or again, she's not going to get in. So we'll just let her have her fun. They had input, you know, um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my, uh, when my original top choices included some countries that where the, uh, the language that I would be learning would be Farsi. And, um, my, my mother was like, very unsure whether she wanted to send me anywhere where there might be political unrest. That's fair. Yeah. So, you know, she, she, I, I was, I was pretty young at the time and sort of uh, didn't, didn't want to be treated my age, <laughs> which, you know, it's, it's, 
that was, was a little little out of line sometimes, but um, but yeah, they, she, they had input, um, and you know, I came prepared with information when I talked to them about it. They came with me to my interviews, um, and it uh, it's a fairly inexpensive program for um, for accepted students. Essentially, if I recall correctly, like other than incidentals, you you only uh, are responsible for um, an open-ended round-trip ticket. And everything else is sponsored through the Rotary, which is awesome. That's an amazing experience that you got there, that you were able to do. Yeah, I felt very, I felt very lucky. And that was, by chance, I was a late applicant because I had decided that I wanted to do this a little bit late in the, late in the game. <laughs> so you, you do your year, you come back. It's got to be tough coming back home after that yeah. with all the freedom that you had because you live in my house, you follow my rules. There's just no way around that. Not only that, but also uh, transportation, public transportation is so good in Japan. And I had moved there um, when I was 15 and suddenly was able to go and do almost anything by myself. You know, I had a another student in the program invite me uh, to come up for Golden Week to where uh, their host family was staying. And uh, when the parents talked and agreed on it, they were like, okay, bye. And I went and traveled to Nagano, which is a few hours away by train by myself. I wasn't even 16 yet. And then I came back to a place where driving is the culture. <laughs> um, and 15 year olds and 16 year olds are not allowed to do anything. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, it was yeah, a very no, different Completely experience. different. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, why did I come home? It was, it's funny though that you say that because most people ask me if it was hard to leave. Um, and I was very excited to go. I, I didn't feel um, homesick right, right away until maybe a little bit of the novelty wore off. I think that I had almost as hard a time coming back as I did leaving. I would have had a harder time coming back. I wouldn't even have thought about the leaving part. It's the, you got to go back to an old life that you're already, you're already, you've moved, you've moved beyond it already. I was ready to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To do something else. I told else. that to my kids when I kicked them out of the house to go to college. I said, you're going, to, you're going away and don't think that this is your room because once you leave, you'll never want to be back in it except for maybe a night or two. And they don't know what I'm talking about. And Not obviously yet. after their, <laughs> no, but after their first semester in college and they had to come back, it was like, you know, you get it. So you finish high school now with that year in Japan. So yeah, I did that. My, it was technically my junior year, my junior year. Um, they allowed it to fulfill my language credit. And then I, uh, I finished, I spent my last nine months finishing in, in Nogales. And then I went to the University of Arizona. Now, when did you apply to Arizona? At that point, you're in Japan. When applying. I got back. <laughs> the moment you got back. Uh, they, they have, I mean, state schools have pretty good acceptance for high achieving students inside of the state. Is that the school you wanted to go to? Or that was the school that made the most sense at the time? It was the school I think I could afford to go to. You know, I, I think uh, logistically, it made the most sense to go to a school where my education would be essentially paid for versus a school where I'd be incurring incurring debt. Did you know at the time what you wanted to major in or it didn't matter? You just, you were going to do your liberal arts and figure it out. I started college as a, uh, a biochem major and. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
we haven't talked at all about bio or chem at this point. So <laughs> where does where does biochemistry come into it? Well, I mentioned virology. Like there was, you know, I was always really fascinated by like sort of like the pop sciences and um I did well in my in my uh, chemistry classes, especially in school. I knew that that I well, I think that I knew that career wise, I did not want to do something that sort of relied on my ability to write or convince or interact or communicate because I didn't feel like that was a strong skill of mine at the time. So I wanted to, I wanted to learn, you know, applicable things with the application was like less important than the learning things that I didn't previously have access to sort of similar to why I chose to go to Japan. So I took a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, general biology, general chemistry, then organic chemistry. Um, and, I enjoyed the chemistry classes more than the biology classes, which at the time had a lot of memorization as, as part of the curriculum. Just, you know, memorize all of these amino acids, you know, <laughs> memorize these pathways. And there, there is a lot of biology that, that is maybe theorized, but hand wavy. Whereas like chemistry, I could, I could witness physical reactions. There was something extremely logical, um, that I was able to observe there, but my, my math classes were my favorite. And that was a surprise to me because in high school, I didn't dislike math. I just didn't, I didn't attach to it as my primary interest. And then in college, I, I pretty quickly switched to being a mathematics major. That's interesting because math is hard. I mean, I, yeah, I, math was hard is. for me. I mean, it's hard for everybody. I, I got <laughs> calculus too and barely scraped by, I think with a C and college and was happy with the idea that my grade wouldn't be on my diploma. So <laughs> I think that's, Kevin's that's... laughing because he's in university right now, but, <laughs> but you just took to it. Like, you know, when light bulbs turn on, it's amazing. What I'll say is that, um, mathematics is pretty difficult for everybody. Um, even mathematicians, you know, would, would say that, but there is something constructed about it that makes it very it, it makes it possible to follow because it is all consistent. It's, it's, it's logically consistent. And actually, so I think it was in calculus two, which was, I think, I think the first math class that I took at university, I could be wrong, um, where I became interested in mathematics because all of a sudden there were patterns being introduced that I hadn't seen before, you know, just patterns uh, when it comes to things like the log scale or, um, or the concept of, you know, what happens as something becomes infinitesimally small or approaches infinity, you know, trying to, to model those things, uh, in a logical sense, given like a set of rules is, um, is really fun. It was my puzzles again. <laughs> so I think, I think that's, you know, that's why I chose it. I didn't choose it with any particular career in mind. I just wanted to take more math classes. <laughs> And you ended up with that, you ended up graduating with that major in math. I mean, you had to do a lot of math for that. So I just got to throw this at you because one of my favorite movies because of kind of the math that they show that I can't do is Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yeah. That moment when he sees it on the whiteboard and he just starts cranking it out and everybody's freaking out. You've seen that movie. Does that movie like, what does that movie bring up in terms of? I don't know anything. What what pops in your head when I when I say Goodwill Hunting? 
related to even the bio stuff he was doing for his girlfriend, right? Like he said, it just comes easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for some people, it really does. You know, sometimes people will see. Uh, so I think that scene is based on a real type of um, challenge, if I recall. It's been a really long time since I've seen that movie. But, but there are these, uh, these problems that are, that are currently unsolved, that there is a, a large prize for solving. There are some anecdotal stories. Uh, I wish I could remember the mathematicians, but of someone leaving an unsolved problem on a whiteboard and someone coming along and proposing a solution without knowing that the problem is unsolved. Um, so there's, there's some, some truth to that story. Um, I, I wonder that when you watch the movie and the problem on the, is on the board, do you just stop? Did you stop and just say, okay, I'm taking a picture of that. I want to, I want to play with that problem. Like if um, I was a mathematician at your level, I think it would cause me to stop for a second. To try and understand as much of it as you can. Mathematics is so broad, you know, that, that everyone has sort of a, a specialization and a discipline once you get to like a graduate level of mathematics, let alone, you know, research um, that, you know, we, we used to, uh, as a group, some of my math friends and I used to attend like symposia and things like that. And even just getting like uh, any kind of inkling, like some idea of what the research this person was doing was, was, you know, unless they are working somehow in the same area as you, uh, even just, just understanding all of the bases for their logical steps is, is difficult, or even just understanding the conclude, what the conclusion means. Um, it's, there, there are many, many disciplines inside of mathematics, but I, I did really enjoy it. And, you know, I, I found it hard to specialize there as well. It, it was, it was hard. You know, I, I would say that like mathematics is where I and probably a lot of other people learned uh, a, a little bit to temper our egos um, because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's humbling. It's extremely humbling for everyone. You know, I, I'd be in a, a class full full of math majors. You know, everyone had chosen to study it. Everyone was at least in their junior year of, of college. And, you know, the high score on a hundred point test would be a 30. It's, it's not uncommon that, you know, uh, you are just just stumped there's a, a an old math uh math joke that i think also can apply to what we do right as as software developers which um is that being a mathematician is a little bit like being a manic depressive because you're just always cycling between like the darkest despair and like the giddiest elation you either have it and you're a genius or you don't and you're just worthless like <laughs> one or the other is is okay now now i have a question because you you know i forgot to ask you what you were doing today to set the story up we're not gonna i'm not gonna ask you that right now we're we're in this story uh we're gonna get there as a surprise <laughs> but in several podcasts, I've, I've talked recently about my wife starting a boot camp and how I've had to talk to her about being able to stop working on a problem at times because this stuff is like crack cocaine. You get into it and you don't want to, you don't want to stop. But is the math like that too? You have a problem and you just don't want to stop working on it. It just consumes you. Yes. And then you realize that you're going in a circle. 
it is almost exactly the same for, for me, at least. Um, you realize that you're going in a circle, you know, and you have to take a step back, take a step away and uh, reorient yourself and um, recall where you started cycling before and maybe zoom out or take a step from there or think about what else you know. Okay, what other tools do I have under my belt here? <laughs> what if I don't... We kind of need a Git for mathematics, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we need Git for mathematics so you can go back to an old commit. I mean, I still sometimes will set up um, when I'm doing some kind of like, I don't know, like a design spike or something. I'll do it like we used to do a proof where you first start at the end, right? You say like, I want to show this, right? I want to have this as a product. Here is what I have to start with, right? And you start building bridges in both directions. Like you, you kind of go, okay, so to, for this outcome, you know, I, I need these infrastructure pieces. I need uh, this, these things. Okay, so that's that means that in here somewhere, I'm probably going to need, I don't know, like, an elastic load balancer or something. And then you, you start, you start putting things together and you're like, okay, so what, <laughs> where, where I'm starting, what do I already have in place that might help me solve this problem? It's a data transformation where you, again, you got input output and you got to figure out how to get there, but it's math. Yeah. And in math, there are a bunch of strategies. You, sometimes you do by elimination, you know, you, you think of, you think of, um, you know, what if I didn't do it this way? Like, or what if this wasn't true? Like, what if I didn't need this? And then you keep working until you essentially show that that's impossible. <laughs> and and so if 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 you if you reach the place where it's impossible, then you're like, okay, so I do need that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it does work. <laughs> no, that's amazing. But once you graduate with your undergraduate degree in mathematics what are you thinking like you don't you don't want to go into a classroom you don't want to be a teacher you what do you want to do a lot of my friends picked very practical disciplines you know I've actually a lot of people in my program went to grad school and then uh, uh, a lot of people pick up um, some kind of some kind of engineering adjacent discipline even like things like actuarial sciences, you know, and anything involving uh, like risk modeling uh, and anything, anything R&D. You see a lot of math people in R&D departments. Um, I wasn't really sure. I, I, I never had a really strong focus on a particular area of mathematics, but one, one way that I guess it's kind of similar to how I am with software developers um, was very obviously differentiated at some point by my willingness to engage with strangers and even lay people on technical problems. I took a job. Um, well, I, I moved to Seattle with my high school boyfriend who had taken a job at Microsoft, my college boyfriend who had taken a job at Microsoft. And uh, I took a job at a company called DigiPen, which is a I'm going to stop you for a second. Your college boyfriend went to Microsoft. Was he a computer science? Yes, he was double. He was math and computer science. So you had been exposed already to programming and stuff. Yes. Oh, we didn't even talk him. about that. Yeah. Well, I had taken, I did take a programming class in college uh, on the recommendation of my advisor. And I was extremely intimidated, much more so than by any of my math classes, not by, not by the content 
but by um, the students. So I, I felt like for a an intro to programming class, I you know I had never attempted to write and run a program myself before. Um, I had done a lot of tinkering, you know, even in in high school where I would take a I don't know like I would I would take uh, be exploring the file system of a game, for example, and find things to alter so that I could uh, see different things happen in the real world or. Um, you know, I was, I was a kid who bricked a computer a few times, deleting registry keys and trying to do fun stuff, <laughs> but, uh, but I had never, I had never, um, I didn't know very much about like how to write a program and how, how to run that program. Um, and so when I started in a programming class and pretty much on day one realized that almost everyone around me had some programming experience. Um, I felt, I felt intimidated, you know, people, people came in with opinions about the language and, uh, you know, uh, critiques about like why we would have to do this when this library exists. And I didn't even really know what any of that was yet. You know, we, uh, we started with, um, I think my year was the year they switched from Java to C sharp. So they, they did object, object oriented programming at my university for new students. And I never really understood what the purpose of an abstraction was. Abstractions and patterns and like factories and things that we were asked to create were for things like, you know, a, a generic animal, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I, I didn't understand why, what would be the purpose of having this generic animal? Um, and every time I tried to solve a problem in a way that was fun for me, I found out that the way that, that the solution was supposed to be presented was in, was a bit more, um, brute, you know, I, I would try to find a, a creative way to solve a maze, uh, and then, you know, realize at the end that we were really just supposed to follow the wall. <laughs> You know, and I, I didn't have any fun in that class. I, I think I did worse in it than any of my others because I just didn't enjoy going to it. Right. And that left a bad taste in your mouth moving forward. If, if I had been, if I had been, you know, a, a little bit older, I, I might've realized that, you know, everyone's opinions on whether, a, you know, a language is better with or without pointers, you know, sort of indicates a lack of experience on their part. You know, everything is just a tool. You, know, you, you might use this tool for that job and that tool for a job with different needs. Well, it's a good thing your boyfriend at the time was a mathematician because he was like <laughs> computer science and you would have said, sorry, not interested. <laughs> 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 yeah, we did fight. We did fight a lot about um, not not really fight, but we did uh, have a lot of disagreements about like the um, the importance of theoretical mathematics. He was he was very very strongly in favor of uh, the idea that the discrete world is the only world that's real, and that the length the square root of two is not calculable and therefore doesn't actually exist in the real world. So, <laughs> so we had a. We had a lot of arguments about that. And then I'd, I'd draw a square, draw a line across the diagonal and be like, then what's the length of that? And then he'd be like, measure it with a ruler. It's not, it's not infinite. Uh, it's not uh, uh, going, going to be Those are good you know, immeasurable. Discussions. They're, they're good discussions to have when you've been drinking whiskey. And then you, know, you let your mind kind of loosen up a little bit there. <laughs> 
Yes. Okay. So you graduate, you both graduate and you yeah, decide. He graduated me. He graduates for you. He goes to Seattle, gets a job at Microsoft, which is pretty cool. It's a big deal. And then you decide, you graduate and decide, okay, I'm going to go to Seattle. I'd like to see Seattle. I mean, right? I'd visit it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like Seattle. That sounds cool. And you get a job at DigiPen doing what? Uh, doing mathematics curriculum development for um, their program. So Dig DigiPen is a school. It's a video game programming university. They have a BS in computer science with a sort of a subtitle of a real-time interactive simulation. It's very, it's games focused. They have a lot of strong connections to the games industry. And so um, they have a lot of uh, incoming students who are non-traditional students and uh, maybe need a refresher on the sort of mathematics that they need to take like linear algebra their first year, for example. Um, because, you know, linear algebra and matrices and uh, like manipulating curves and surfaces, are, those are all really important for graphics programming. And part of the, the computer science program there, I believe, is that you build a, a graphics engine. So they didn't have any of this math kind of laid out? They had a lot of it, but they, they wanted to provide more resources for students at different levels. Um, and essentially wanted to generate their own resources rather than a lot of colleges use resources that are created by another school. So there was an initiative where, where they wanted to create resources focused around essentially streamlined to what they want, what they wanted their uh, students to be learning. Yeah. But at that level, I mean, I would imagine that there isn't a lot of flexibility in examples. You need these sets of examples to teach it. Like that's not going to change. Maybe you change letters, but I, I don't know. More just like what to emphasize, if if that makes sense, was was the goal, and and in, at what level to introduce different ideas and things like that. But you're right that year to year, I mean, I wasn't there for much more than a year, but uh, everything seemed to stay pretty static. I I couldn't really see a lot of growth for myself in that space. And, you know, without a, a graduate degree, I think a teaching position would also have been really rote for me um, in terms of the level. Plus I wasn't a programmer. So um, if kids came to me with graphics questions and things like that, I, I was a little bit, a little bit lost in, in, in that space. So I, my area of expertise was particularly limited and um, I decided to, to try and figure out what, I didn't want to commute to the east side anymore to work. Uh, I was living inside of the city, which is still where I live. Um, and I decided to try and find um, some sort of data analysis or data science work in maybe uh, health or biology. Uh, I had worked at a biology lab in college as, as a, a part-time job and thought that um, I actually had done some research in, in um, some applied mathematics in that area, uh, just as sort of modeling modeling evolution and, and the genome through the years. Uh, so I started putting out applications to... This is like 2008, right? This would be probably like 2010, 2009, 10. 2010, okay. We're going back at least 10 years still. I, I, I started... Uh, looking for for jobs um, in in those spaces but I was finding it really difficult to find a job uh, in the 
health or sciences fields, um, which I found out is because Seattle's a much bigger market than the one that I came from for those for those areas. And uh, so I was uh, when when I was lucky enough to have good feedback from uh, someone who interviewed me, they would tell me that um, essentially that I was qualified and that everyone had liked me, but they also had PhD applicants for the same position. <laughs> um, so I, I was I was really struggling to to find something uh, that would serve me, and I eventually. Um, wait, wait, wait! Did you ever have the thought of shit? I got to go back to school. Yeah, I did, but i I knew i I knew I didn't want to do graduate school in mathematics, and I knew that I didn't um, feel prepared to jump into any other type of of uh, school. So I thought, well, maybe I'll do some kind of training. Interestingly, I I just sort of ended up getting a lot of on-the-job training as I went along. Um, I took a I took a temporary position uh, with very little knowledge of what the job would look like, uh, doing a data QA for a legal administration company. And um, they hired me full-time. I worked there eventually becoming the most senior person on their on their data team um, because I, I picked up SQL really fast, which I guess you would expect from my background, but they did not expect of me. Um, so um, I worked closely with the DBAs and I, I met their amazing database designer um, who taught me a lot of great SQL principles, uh, you know, always helped me do things in an optimal way. Did you enjoy taking your data analytics and math in your head and kind of projecting that into SQL and in databases to get those answers, right? I mean, it's a, for, it's a, it's, it's a form of doing mathematical. Yes. It's very functional. Yeah. Very, uh, very, very concrete and discreet. Yeah. There was, I, I really did enjoy um, what I enjoyed most about that. You know, I, I think I had always uh, sort of elevated the concepts of mathematics, like above, um, I never really thought that I had much of a head for things like business, but um, I enjoyed that I felt helpful, especially, you know, there, there would be an attorney who would come to me and be like, I need this particular type of data, or um, we're, we've been ordered by the court to match these names with this crazy data import that we need to do. Um, and uh, being able to explain to them, you know, as as simply as possible what the plan would be and then uh, execute on it so that they could, you know, relay with confidence what what existed and didn't exist inside of that data um, was it made me feel very helpful. You know, that's that's a huge blocker for people who don't um, don't feel comfortable working inside of a database. Um, and the, yeah. so how long were you at this company? About two years. Okay. And then what happened two years later? Because it sounds like you're enjoying this work. You've learned a bunch of tech. You're helping out the company tremendously and legal stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens two years later? I got bored. <laughs> I spoke to my uh, manager about possibly um, taking on a, a different role. And he said, well, I, you know, I have management roles, but I don't know that you'd be interested in being a people manager. And I said, no, I, I don't really think I want to be a people manager. <laughs> um, 
And uh, he said, well, why don't you look around? And I had, we had at the time uh, like an internal claims management software. It was a, a pretty, pretty si simple um, piece of machinery. It's what, it's what, uh, what our reports were generated from when they were not being generated automatically. By our reports, I mean the reports that my team would produce. Uh, I knew that we had a development team and they even had a few manual testers on that software. So I went to the director of IT's office and um, I, I asked him if there was anything I could do to uh, prepare myself to be a good candidate for a position on his team, uh, possibly as a, as a tester. You know, knowing, knowing that like I, I had the capacity to, um, you know, I was always, I was always filing bugs with, with them. I had always, I was always breaking something or, uh, you know, uh, a bug would come through and then software would kick it to data and I would, I would find where it happened in between. You know, I, I remember the way that I met that director was actually really funny. Um, someone had a screenshot of a submission that they'd made through the website that should have hit the should have hit the database and generated a row. Uh, but no one could find this row. So, but the guy had his screenshot as proof. So uh, I went um, into the actual code base for where for submission and followed it through until I could see that um, as like a precursor to that row being created, the form data was dumped as XML into a field uh, in 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 SQL, and when I when I searched the contents of those fields in that in that seconds range, I was able to find it, and it was truncated. So something happened to that stream, uh, but because it was corrupted, that data never made it into the database. So I sent that explanation out to the team. It wasn't assigned to me. I was just really curious about how that could have possibly <laughs> happened. And that's how I met the director because he came by my desk and said, how did you find this? <laughs> so anyway, I had gone to him and said, uh, it, is there a way I can prepare to, to apply to a role on your team? You know, I think I'm, I think I'm done, done learning new things on mine for now. And, uh, he said that they were about to open a position for um, a junior software developer um, and that he would like me to apply with the team. They knew me. Uh, they'd known me for a few years. And he said he thought I'd be a good candidate. Um, and I, I stopped him and said, uh, no, you know, I am not a programmer. I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, he's like, we've we've seen how you solve problems and think, uh, we, we can, we can show you the ropes. It's, it's, it's not too, it won't be too intense. I, I promise. He's like, you know, no junior software engineer comes in knowing what they're doing anyways. <laughs> 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 and, uh, uh, I did apply. I did, I was, uh, selected by the team. And a few months later I started in my first role with almost, you know, no, background, uh, uh, we were working on an, an ASP.NET type stack. Um, and, uh, are you still with your boyfriend at Microsoft at the time? No, I, I don't even think that lasted a year after we came to Seattle. <laughs> oh, 
I was just going to say you can you could have gone home and said, okay, I'm a software developer now. I think he actually did at times work on ASP.NET related things too. But um, yeah, he worked in DevDiv. So that's um, developer tools. So now you get this job as a software developer in the same company, right? How long did you do that? How long were you doing that job? Hmm, I worked there for about a year and a half, but it was a very eventful year and a half. <laughs> it was... Uh, it was fun to see different types of teaching and mentorship that I received from, from different people on the team uh, and what, you know, works better for me. Uh, it was, it was exciting to be able to, to solve problems and, and even to see the problems that experienced developers had. And then within six months, we um, ended up building a, a new claims processing application. So I got to work on a Greenfield project. And that one, that one was uh, Angular with a, a MongoDB backend, a MongoDB database, and a Node.js uh, server behind it backend. So, I I learned some new technologies too. Um, got to learn a little bit about like infrastructure management, and packaging, and all, all these things I had never never touched the actual business of of uh, creating software and and running a service. So that was really fun. And then what happens? You're, what did you say? You were there for almost two years. Yeah. So I think now we're probably around 2015 in time. Oh gosh, 2015 or 2016. Our software project was finished and the company uh, started to talk about doing a handoff to uh, contractors to maintain the software. Uh, so we we kind of all started job hunting and anticipation. Um, so I, I got to interview for a software job for the very first time, <laughs> like in, in a, in a sense where I wasn't saying, here's what I don't know, but here's what I can bring to the table. And uh, instead I was, I was ha um, having to talk about what I, what I could bring based on my short experience and then my broader, longer experience. I'm curious that you were, now looking for another job, you wanted to continue to be a software developer at that point? Yeah, I did. I, um, I had really enjoyed my job. Before I started it, I had walked into my director's office. Uh, his name is Chris Barnett, really wonderful man. He's the, the one who suggested it in the first place. And I said, Chris, what if I am not good at this? Like, what if, what if I hate it? What if uh, I struggle a lot with it, you know? I'm, I'm feeling concern about that. And he said, he said in a very droll way, like, well, if you don't like it, I guess you go back to your old job. <laughs> very, very practical man. <laughs> um, so I had also had a, a moment of anxiety, maybe about eight months into the job when we were just about to be building this this new product, this new piece of software, where I thought, what if none of the things I've been doing here, which are all within my grasp, um, are transferable skills? Like, what if none of them are are actually useful for a future career doing this? <laughs> you know, what if I have to start over if I find another software job? Uh, so actually, I reached out to Ian, who I'd known for years. Um, we originally were just friends over nerditry and I don't know, quoting Futurama type 
Thanks. <laughs> and uh, I, I knew he was a software uh, engineer and I were, reached out to him and essentially said like, how do I, how do I make sure I'm doing useful things here? Um, and, and things that, that will be in demand, like career wise, how do I know that what I'm doing is useful? And he was really kind. He made a connection actually between me and a former director of his named Heather. And he, uh, also suggested that I go muck around in the globe, in the go playground, uh, and, and do the, the tour of go and, and see if I, if I enjoyed that. Um, and. Uh, actually, one of the main things that I use when I teach and mentor, I learned from Heather, uh, and I don't even know if this is a principle of hers or not, but when I poured out my heart to her about my concerns and, you know, my fears and what should I be studying and learning and what should, where should my emphasis be, she said, you've been doing this for eight months. You're doing fine. I feel like people don't tell other people enough that they're doing okay. <laughs> um, so... I tried to, you know, I've been lucky to have champions in my career, like, uh, like uh, the director who hired me or Heather or people who will tell me, you know, that I'm doing okay, that I'm doing, doing a good job. And so as like a corollary, I try to do that for other people as well. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. And it's, everybody needs both positive and constructive feedback at times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I try to give to my teams as well. Not every day or or it doesn't mean anything. But when somebody does something that, I'll tell you this, when somebody on my team does something that allows me to go, like, I don't have to deal with that anymore. We got through that. I am for sure showing my appreciation for that, right? Yeah, let people know how they're, how, how they're valuable or what they're good at. You know, there's, there are a lot of opportunities, I think, in, in the workplace to provide feedback, direct feedback, but I, I like to provide people with actionable feedback when I can. Um, and instead of saying, you know, um, this person is abrasive or something like that, to instead say, um, you know, it, like this person might want to take opportunities to show other people their goodwill, you know, and, and that they're invested in the success of the team um, because, you know, they, uh, they might be misinterpreted given that, you know, try, try to, I'd like to try to give, give people something that they can take forward and, and practice, you know, cause it's all practice for all of us. Oh no, for sure. Like when I was young, I was a bull in a China shop I had a lot of people <laughs> around me that would just put me on the side and say, Bill, you can't do that. <laughs> Bill, this is how you have to do Right. So I do that now. I've got young kids that are developers who sometimes get a little too aggressive or too direct and I have to pull them back and say, look, we can't, you can't say that the tone is wrong. We've got to be, I know you didn't mean it. I yes. know it just came across that way, but we have to work on this, right? Like I'm not going to fry you. Relax. That's not what this is about. We're <laughs> right. just is that learn. improving together? Yeah. We're going to learn. I'm on your side. Yeah. <laughs> I had enough people that could have fired me. That's right. Um, and didn't, they allowed me to learn. So we've got to pass that on. In an opposite way, or an opposing, opposing but I think dovetailing way, like you sometimes have people who are who are kind of a, a bull in a china shop or very very aggressive with their thoughts, and then you also have people um, who are very timid, like they want to be invited to 
to speak or to do something more. And um, uh, so <laughs> I remember in in his keynote, I think he'd go for Con 2019, uh, Johnny Borsico said something said something about uh, about not waiting for permission. You know, I, I think a lot of times uh, when when people are are starting to get things going in their career, you know, they they look around for someone to tell them the next step or for the right time and place to take the next step. Um, and you know, uh, in my experience, people are willing to help you. You know, there uh, there are always people willing to help you. Not everyone is willing to help help you, but there are always people who are willing to help you. But you have to be taking this step, and you you. You cannot ask like people. People are not going to to tell you no unless they have a, uh, and if they have unless they have a solid reason, you don't have to listen to a no. <laughs> I've been mentoring somebody who's in a like a PhD program at Duke University. She decided that she didn't want to finish the PhD. She loves programming so much. She wants to jump into programming, which I think is awesome. And we were fortunate enough to get her an interview and. I was CC'd on one of the emails and she had asked permission to send, she she started a conversation and then asked permission if she could send her resume. And I immediately went behind the scenes and I said, next time, don't ask. You're already talking to them. Just send it. Send it. Like, yeah. Here's my resume. That's it. <laughs> hey, and by the way, if you still want to talk to me, that's great. And here's my resume. Like, just don't ask for permission for these types of things. Just Almost like the just say hello thing that people talk about a lot. Yeah. Which that's that's gotta be learned. Yeah. yeah, I understand I understand why the timidity. I mean, I think I can even really strongly empathize with it. You know, no one no one wants to uh feel like they've they've overstepped, but like I think I think some of that just comes with self confidence and and at least for me, some of that has been kind of a fake it as you make it situation. Fake it till you make it situation as an adult. We're all faking it until we make it. Um, but I, I think sometimes what you can do is put yourself on the other side of that table and say, do you, would you have, would you have preferred that they sent it or asked and then behave in that sort of, in that sort of manner, right? We're all really, really busy and we don't have time. And so it's better just, and we're already a society of like, just tell me, just tell what it, what is it? Just. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, there's, there's like a psychological safety thing in there that, you know, people have to, to grow a feeling of safety. If that, I don't know, it, it takes time. It takes time, but hopefully the people around you are honest enough to yeah, guide you when you make that mistake or even a couple of times, a couple of things she did in some email conversations she had, I, I was like, that's amazing. That was perfect. It's exactly the way you want to do it. Right. So it's got to go both ways. Okay, look, we've got like 15 minutes left. And I, I, it's not enough time. <laughs> I know it's never enough. It's look, this podcast, it's never enough time. But that's what we got. So I want to know what happens. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Because I forgot to ask this question. And I usually like to ask it in the beginning. So we're going to, I'm going to ask it and then we're going to kind of fill in. It's going to be like a mathematical proof. Okay. So okay. the bridge. This is, we're going to build the bridge here in 15 minutes. So, Tell everybody kind of what you're doing right now. What, what is Vanessa doing right now? Today? Work-wise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, okay. Work-wise. <laughs> so, not, uh, yeah. Yeah, work not in life. You know, sitting at my desk right now. Girl. 
<laughs> well, I see I see a keyboard behind me, so I mean, I'm, maybe oh. playing, playing some music, but it's, um, yeah, off off hours stuff, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I work for uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. I've worked there for. Oh gosh, coming up on three years. Um, I work Wait, like Discovery Channel Discovery. Yeah, Warner, Warner Brothers and Discovery had a merger this last year. Um, so it was a content-related merger. So. Um, oh my goodness! You know, this week, my wife and I were watching TV, and some station was advertising another station, and my wife said, "Aren't they competitors? What's going on?" And she looked it up, and it was because of a Warner, the Warner Brothers merger, brought together. I'm affected by that. <laughs> uh, it brought together a whole bunch of stations that we had no idea were affiliated, and we just started seeing them like showcase each other. Okay. Yeah. Well, already, already Warner Brothers is a very large. We were Warner Media before. Uh, is a very large company. So, um, you know, some of the things that we were supporting previously were like. CNN, HBO, um, Bleacher Report, you know, lots of live sports. Mm -hmm. That's what it was, by the way. It was HBO and CNN advertising with each other. Yeah, they, they belong to the same banner and they all actually have for a really long time. So the ones that are just coming on board are uh, the Discovery Channel's properties, which are like Food Network. So this is what freaks me out. <laughs> when I think of Warner Brothers, you know what the first thing that pops into my head? Bugs Bunny. Animaniacs. Bugs yeah, Bunny. <laughs> exactly. Bugs yeah. Bunny, Warner Brothers. It's Bugs Bunny, and so I can't comprehend. I can't comprehend Warner's Brothers being able to buy CNN and HBO or however. It's been a while. So we were we're all actually. I think my paycheck still says Turner. It's just mind blowing to me that they had that kind of cash because I think of Bugs Bunny, and I went. That's how is that even possible? I might be wrong, but yeah, I think that Discovery actually was the, like the lead on this because Discovery does make a lot of money with their properties. Um, HBO's properties tend to be more like, I'm trying to think of a better word, but a word I hear used a lot is like elite properties, you know, like HBO and CNN and I don't know, uh, DC comics and yeah, things like that. You're not grouped into the all the other kind of stations that fill in airtime on cable. Like I think of, and I loved history and I love discovery and I, mm -hmm. um, I, those two in Shark particular, Week. right. I wasn't <laughs> a fan of like TLC or something, but they're all cable company. They're all networks that kind of just filled in programming. So you would have a hundred stations to choose from. Like, like that's the way I always imagined it, but everybody gravitates. A lot of people play them in the background. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody plays yeah. HBO all day, but people will play, HGTV all day. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if they're like into the Kardashian show. I mean, that <laughs> one's not like that was all day in my house when my girls were younger, right? So, <laughs> um, okay, so cool. Okay, so you work on the Discovery side. What do you do? I don't. I work on the Warner side, but yeah. Oh, sorry, I, Warner um, side. Well, okay. I do, although we're, we're all adopting each other's tech uh, right now. So I work um, in the live video space and I specifically work on um, our live video transcoder. So. Uh, what does that mean? You're writing code, you're doing, you're writing the code for the transcoder? Yes. Yes. I moved onto that team in, um, in I think December off of a team that handled things like entitlement, which was more of a, more of a typical API what programming uh, language situation. are they using Go. to build? 
uh, Go and and a lot of the the lower level stuff is, is C plus plus. Wow. So what do you do? Wow. So you so, okay, went so from, the video pipeline is big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but think about this for a second because we were only in two thousand and fifteen or sixteen, and you had just finished really writing Node with some Mongo. Um, and you were really building a, a, a browser-based sort of app. And now you're like doing performance sort of go, you know, go performance engineering on a transcoder. That's a completely different level of engineering. Yeah, I'm really lucky to be on this team because I, I have three, uh, it's, a, it's a small team, you know, like most teams kind of pizza sized. Uh, there are five developers on my team and three are principal engineers. So I can go to them for just about any, anything video related that I might want to know. Um, but yeah, so the, the part, the part of the pipeline from raw video to video on your app or your, uh, web browser or whatever that I work in is the part where we ingest, uh, we ingest a raw video and then we process it so that it can, uh, we can send out like MPG like uh, segments uh, to be published and packaged and DRM'd and whatever needs to happen for them to be delivered. You must have a hard time watching anything now on your mobile <laughs> devices because your brain starts going, I know how that got delivered now. And I know everything that happened behind the scenes. Well, especially working on live video, you know, uh, you, you have to be very, you, you mentioned, you mentioned performance, right? You have to be very efficient because nobody wants a delay in their live video stream. Um, and you know, things, things do take time. <laughs> so, so are you like cutting that into those 10 second blocks? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a, a smaller even. Yeah. Like little segments of, um, yeah. Segments of, of like encoded video and audio that are packaged together. And then we send them as messages, like over gRPC, little, little clusters. Are, are you also doing any work where you're slicing the live video with whatever that commercial is, or ad, or? Yeah, we do. Yes, it's called slating. When you when when you lose a source stream or you you want to stop a source stream, you'll throw a slate down, which can be a black screen or it could be pre-configured. They say like thanks for watching or, you know, if you're watching a live video and the commercial doesn't come up and instead it's like just some sort of like animated loop. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a slate. And, and that comes up when things aren't timed correctly. We also, every video comes with like a manifest that essentially says like where commercial breaks should be slotted and things like that as well. But when you're delivering that video content, it's going to another team that eventually is streaming it to a device, right? You're not, yeah, the there are more steps. Um, yeah, there. Well, the the only thing that we do that is device related, right, is um, oh gosh, everything has to be packaged uh, for delivery to whoever is going to be streaming it. So, like, we we support we now support up to four K live streaming, uh, but you also you want to package things at varying levels of quality, varying bit rates, um, so that you can deliver to you know the guy who's on the bus uh, watching on his cell network as well. And so the work that you're doing for Warner's Brothers is going to eventually cut across all their, say, platforms, all their... Yeah, yeah. The, we're, we're currently like merging merging tech streams, I guess. Uh, like any, uh, any 
any any parts of the architecture that don't that don't match where we're adopting different uh, different sides. But I believe our transcoding team uh, is the one that's that's going to be um, our model is going to be adopted by by other teams at the company. It's everything is everything is a service, so everything is kind of a a, a box where people need to configure their channels. You know, they need to set up what what they want things to be like, put things into a scheduler, and then everything on our side should be automatic. It should be able to, if it can reach that source input, um, take the, the configuration and the schedule, and then at the right time, uh, spin up channels for each type of configuration that we need. So like there's a demuxer, and then we have to do things with subtitles, and we have to do things with syncing. There's a whole bunch of pieces to to uh, my team. Yeah, and then there's you know a channel control kind of uh, API. I had a moment. I don't remember was this. Or it's only Tuesday, so maybe it wasn't this week. Maybe it was over the weekend. I had this weird moment where I realized that like there is music and or video being streamed over the internet 24 hours a day. And I don't know how it's all capable of being on the internet at the same time. Just in Why do we have so much internet? <laughs> like seven, I got two TVs, three phones, and a, a tablet running at the same time, all streaming content, which is kind of, it's not like, you know, the coax model was you had TV streaming into your house all day, whether you turned the channel or not. So right. The, you know, when I think about like Comcast, the the beauty of the internet was going to be they didn't have to stream all those right, only bits. Only when requested. Only yeah. when requested. But the problem is, is that these bits are now requested all day regardless. Yes. You didn't really cut down on the bandwidth, right? No, if anything, you made it larger. Yeah. One of the last things I worked on on entitlements was um, different different companies also have different types of subscription models that they want enabled, you know, uh, it was sort of like a device eviction scenario where, you know, say someone is authorized to have five streams from, from a particular company at a time, and then they try to start on a sixth device. Do we reject a device or do we evict one of these? And if so, which one is, it's kind of a, I like the eviction model. Yeah. I think, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they like the stream, but then it's always like, what's going on. But yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, and which and which device do you do you evict the one that was last started? Do you evict the one that was last requested? You know, um, if you can try to identify which one is not currently active, but it's it's kind of tricky. Someone's, you know, if you're not careful, you could set off a loop as well <laughs> of of your two playing devices at once. I don't know if it was a music app or not, but I gave my credentials to my son. <laughs> Every time he was using the app, I couldn't use it. And it would drive me crazy. I'm like, damn it, get off that thing. I, I need it now, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I would have preferred he got kicked off, but you know what would have happened. He would have just kicked me off. and then Right, he would have started again, that loop situation. You don't yeah. know what's happening. You just think the app broke and you just started again. There are a lot of considerations with video. I mean, I even all the way down to, we also, um, like we publish a lot of streams on, con on contract as well. So we do... Uh, we call them internally like well we have like a yankee sports network and then the madison square garden gardens network 
both come through us. And, uh, and so that it's like a very specific contract, but it's a, a lot of viewership. A lot of people subscribe it's to New York to sports <laughs> no, for sure. And you're playing the live games when they're on. Uh, you have and to then, be a subscriber to their channels oh, yeah, yeah, to see yeah. them. And then there's, because there's blackout areas as well, right? For yeah. those, for those games. So we I set up blackout. I know, I know, but yeah, the blackout has to be enforced by somebody and that's. And then you have to detect proxy servers. I hate, I hate when they detect my proxy server and they finally <laughs> add it to a list that drives me crazy. I'm like, I just lost my ninja, my ninja stealth. Yeah, there's a lot. Almost everything that we do also happens kind of behind reverse proxies for like reasons of DDoSing and yeah, it's very interesting. I, I've learned a lot here. <laughs> Amazing education on networking. Streaming's it. Streaming's not going anywhere. Anybody that's cool. got yeah. experience and you're interested in it, uh, you're going to be working for a long time. Now, last couple of questions here. Um, I'm not going to try to build the bridge because you're in such a cool space right now. I had, that's amazing. The bridge <laughs> that you did jump from, from saying, you know what? I don't think I want to be a junior programmer to <laughs> now doing this hardcore ghost tech man oh my god lots of you know a lot of times it's just like trying to make and take advantage of openings you know like you can't always find the exact opening you want but you can kind of speak it to people like what it is that you want and sometimes that will show you where the openings are so i had wanted i've been interested in this team since i started at the company they had an availability finally so you do have you been able to leverage any of your math background on this team Oh, well, I don't know yet, but I feel like I leverage mathematics um, thought processes like almost in everything that I do. In real life, it can be to a fault, but in in work scenarios, like being able to um, to think through and like find where there's a logical leap that is unexplained um, has been just useful my entire programming career thus far. Actually, I'm also curious. I don't care what time it is. I have to ask you that question. <laughs> you can ask me whatever. How did you, how did you get your ghost skills up to the level of working on this team as quickly as you did? This isn't a junior dev position you're in. It could be intermediate, but you still had to know enough go to not slow down the team. So how did you do that? Uh, I worked with strong people kind of from the start. It was not really a plan. It just sort of happened that way where um, my first job, this actually does just kind of build the bridge a little bit. My first job outside of um, the legal administration company was for a company that did uh, a global positioning software that was beginning uh, like a B2B2C model where they were um kind of powering as a service uh like if you did pick up from target or something like that um the situation where once you entered a geofence it would ping them to bring stuff outside you know um it, their their location and your location would be broadcast to each other and for a short period of time until the exchange is made kind of uh software so i knew that i had liked working with go and i applied to this company because um they were rebuilding their services in go um then when i started working there 
uh, I was asked almost immediately, do you know anybody else who's strong in Go? Now, I didn't feel like I was particularly strong in Go, but um, Go's always made a lot of sense to me. You know, I, I really like like the thoroughness of the way we handle errors. I really like um, that I can follow, I can follow it through very well. I really love the compiler messages we get out of Go um, almost all of the time. And uh, I reached out to Ian, who connected me to someone he used to work with, if you know Zach, um, whose partner is currently also doing a boot camp, just like, just like yours. And um, uh, he joined my team and was a really great mentor for me. Um, you know, like we'd, we'd be writing and, and he'd look over my shoulder and, and I'd be like, how do I do this if there may be multiple inputs here? He's like, oh, you don't know about variadic arguments? Here, let's pair. You know, uh, yeah, and I, work, working with people, he would, he would, he learned that I liked feedback a lot. So he would uh, essentially like knit my PRs a lot, uh, even on just things that were maybe like strong preferences that he had. But uh, I would always ask him why, and some of them I adopted myself. You know, and uh, just think things like like handling handling er errors right away, like upfront, any sort of fail out situation, fail out fast. Um, I didn't know enough to do that yet. You know, that wasn't necessarily, yeah. So I, I learned quite a bit there. Um, and uh, he and I worked together then in a startup situation um, after we left Glimpse and then our startup kind of lost its revenue stream at the beginning of uh, 2020 when the world was falling apart business-wise <laughs> and otherwise. And uh, uh, a friend of mine from the Go community in Seattle, uh, she was one of the organizers here, Meg Brenner, she uh, uh, invited me to apply at um, her WarnerMedia streaming um, company. Hey, Zach. I know, good job, Zach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I love when I'm doing a code review and I'm getting to the nitpicky and I'll say that to the person. I'm going, I'm nitpicking now because there's nothing else to talk about. No, I love that. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> this is where we're at. So <laughs> I, have that, I have that on my team now, too, which is something that I really enjoy. And and they were kind enough to let me know up front, like, hey, by the way, you know, we're, we're going to go through your PRs really carefully. Um, and I was like, yes, please. It's it's always kind of a pleasure to have somebody be like, you know, we, it, this works this way, but you know, we, we may have something else that you can model this after already. Like you, you may not need to do all of this, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's good. It's, it's great. They're, they're a good team. I'm and a good so team happy matters more than anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> because you live like at least a third of your life with them every day so if you're miserable with that family you're you're going to be miserable with everybody else and the other two-thirds of your day so no that that's critically important they critically become your important. community yeah all right unfortunately we're out of time i know i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sad that means that i now have to get on a plane to seattle so we can yes, continue our conversation over a glass of uh whiskey yeah. Sounds, good. <laughs> Sounds good. I I love your story. I love how you how you got to where you are today. That you took those opportunities and you made the most of them. Still, never lost your love for math. 
right? You still, do you get to do anything on the math side at all, whether it's tutoring or? Oh, um, usually what I do, my, I would say that like my love for mathematics uh, is, is limited by my, by my capacity. It, it takes a lot to be really, to be really involved in mathematics as far as, as far as, you know, favorite concepts and favorite proofs and things like that. I do like to share them with people just um, because math is a study of patterns, right? And pattern recognition. But in that way, a lot of things are mathematics to me. No, no it's good. You know, when the 15 year old is a sophomore is struggling with her math, I look at it and my brain goes, I don't even remember doing this. And then my wife will jump in and say, come here, I'll help you. And she'll like help her. And I look at her and I'm like, how did you remember how to do that? She's like, well, I looked it up. I go, I, well, I probably could have looked it up too, but you did that in like five minutes. I don't understand. Well, a lot of, a lot of what kids do at school, even teenagers, right, in mathematics is more like learning arithmetic and computation and formulae type situations, which is less mathematical you know there's some there's some steps missing to make it mathematics like where does this formula come from you know like i don't really think you should teach anyone to use the quadratic equation without showing them how to derive it from ax squared plus bx plus c equals zero you know like yeah show them show them where it comes from okay we're totally out of time here so <laughs> if, so sorry. It, it's not your fault it's my fault i'm the one i'm the host here i'm supposed to manage time you know i'm 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 not doing my job. <laughs> okay. Okay. If anybody wants to talk to you after listening to this, and we'll get this in the show notes as well, uh, what's the best way for someone to reach out? Okay. So uh, they can email me. You know, uh, I maintain a couple of email addresses, but I think the best one for this would be Vanessa at Axiomista, A X I O M I S D A dot com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You know, it's semi-technical uh, there. Uh, what else? I'm, I think I'm on major, most major social media stuff as Axiomista. <laughs> Twitter, Twitter and email is fine. That's good. That's good. Twitter's good. Okay. We are done here. So, Vanessa, thank you for spending all this time with us today. I really appreciate it. I didn't know there were full backstories, so this was, this was good for yeah. me. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I don't think I've told those things as a cohesive story ever. Uh, so that's really interesting. It's in real life. It's like a lot more there, you know, there's, there's a lot more space where there's a lot of uncertainty and nothing's really happening and then things happen, you know, so cohesively, it sounds very mobile. <laughs> but... Well, obviously there's a lot of unknowns as you're going through those transitions and but what I want people to hear from these stories is if you're in one of these unknown spaces is not to give up and to keep moving forward and, and leverage those relationships. And there's going to be that better day coming. It's just, you got to fight through it. Right. You made me think about uh, something mentorship related that I thought you might enjoy, which is like, uh, there, there, are, there are people who do mentorship in, there are a lot of people who are interested in mentorship. They're interested in being mentors. Um, but then when they talk to their students, they talk to them like they talk to themselves. And maybe the way that they talk to themselves isn't super healthy. <laughs> so I, I, I occasionally will like watch someone 
meeting a student and and they immediately start front loading their conversation with discouraging things you know like oh you know it's 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 really hard like this company will throw out any application where you don't have a college degree um you know like i would recommend you finish that first and you need to have at least a project like a full project that you built yourself in this space and uh things like that without without i think it's important to share the difficulty that can that people can encounter without without making it discouraging like giving it sort of a happy ending thing so that people have something to to look forward to so like uh i met a woman i was i was teaching a workshop for um a, a local meetup about uh it was like an introduction to data structures and algorithms and i met a woman who is in ada and she wanted to brush up on those things because she was about to do interviewing and we became friends and she graduated from Ada Developers Academy, which is a pretty prestigious boot camp where, you know, there's an internship built into it. Uh, it's a year long program. It's very well respected, but it took her over two years to find her first full-time software developer position, which is actually not that common coming out of Ada, but it wasn't necessarily reflective of her skill level. It was, um, just kind of the way things were shaking out at that time. Maybe the, the companies that she was applying to were smaller and had fewer openings. You know, maybe um, what she emphasized in her interview wasn't necessarily what people were looking for or whatever. But eventually she found, she found a good role for herself and really just by tenacity. You know, a lot of people interview for a year and, and give up. And, you know, it, it's definitely not the norm in my experience to see people have to 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 fight for years for for that first role but it's not unusual and it's not a reflection of of her ability i mean she's been a software engineer for five years now yeah it took me in 1992 eight months to get my first job and i have a nephew who graduated from iron hack uh at the end of the year and he's thrown his resume out there and we keep tweaking the resume and I told him, don't give up. I don't care how long this takes, right? Just, it's going to happen. It's just, don't give up. So it's the same thing. And I love this story because I want to share it with him. That this woman, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened, right? So that's... She's doing great. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I think she might make more money than me. She's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> no, yeah. She's, I mean, there's, yeah. It, you know, it's good to have a plan. You know what they say about plans, right? They're, I... I I'm going to poorly paraphrase phrase the quote, but it's something like uh, that they're um, like it. What is it? Planning is essential, but plans are useless. Something like that. I don't know if I know that one. I, the, <laughs> the one I always recite is like dream in years, plan in months and live each day. Yes. Oh, that's a very similar concept. So, yeah, the, the idea, I guess, is that like making a plan is the part that matters. The actual plan itself is not going to go off like you like you think. Yeah, but, not 100 percent. But making a plan is is good, you know, to work on projects, however small, you know, like try to have some impact, like be brave, like community is huge. Uh, for me, I, I felt advantaged by my willingness to engage with community in Seattle um, and sort of, you know, interact with strangers. <laughs> um, in general, like go, the Go community is super welcoming and 
and that feeds back into itself. It made me want to be super welcoming to people once I wasn't the newest person in the room. <laughs> yeah. And the relationships that you met along the way helped. And absolutely, your, your job is to pass that forward when, when those opportunities present themselves for you to do that. So exactly, exactly. We, we've got to remember that, you know, even though, yes, I didn't attend a, a boot camp or, or, you know, do anything formally in, in a way like that. And, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I've, I've gotten all of my jobs in the regular way. <laughs> I, I also feel like it's important to recognize that like nobody does anything all by themselves. You know, I had a lot of supporters and a lot of encouragers and yeah, it's the only thing that like that you can do to perpetuate that is to be that yourself when you can. I think that's a young idea. I've had to tell each one of my kids at some point, like, no, dad, I want to do it on my own. I go, you can't no do it on thing. your own. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't want my help. That's fine. But you need help. There's just no way around this. And at some point, they finally, they finally get it, right? Like 19 years old isn't going to get that. So fine, you struggle. But at some point, uh, as you get a little older, you realize you got to ask for help. Yeah, there's real value to that. I mean, there's such huge value to uh, having other people who know you and other people you know and uh, people you can go to with a with a problem and people who can come to you with the problem, you know, uh, to that's it's good for learning. It's good for you know times of discomfort. It's good for times of comfort, like or like time or times of positivity. You know, if you need help with something, say you're starting a company, who do you go to? The people, the people you know. You know, we are twice out of time now. So, I know, but thank you. I, but I, I do appreciate that, that last story there. I think it's good for, for people to hear that, especially if they're just starting out. And in the economy that we have right now, uh, yes. in February 23, uh, it's even a little bit harder. But I, I promise everybody that everything runs in cycles. So just give the world another like three months and there's going to be improved. By the summer, this is all going to stable out and improve again. I, I, I know. I, I feel it. It'll okay. be different. It'll it's be always different. different. But the only constant is change, right? <laughs> the only constant is change. Okay. This is Vanessa and Bill finally signing off at the On Labs podcast. I really appreciate everyone listening to us for this. I think it's almost two hours. <laughs> but I do hope that everybody comes back and uh, sees us again real soon. <laughs>